If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Ruth chapter 4. Today we are concluding our series entitled God's Redeeming Love, where we've been walking through the book of Ruth. When we come to Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 to 22, you'll find a text printed in your bulletin. Remember, the book of Ruth is all about God. He is the main character. Yes, there are human characters of Boaz and Ruth and Naomi and Elimelech, but God is the central character in the story, just like God is the central character in all of Scripture and in all of our lives, whether we recognize Him or not. And He is the one at work in all the details of the characters in this story. And this truth will be on full display in this final section of the book. Before I read this text, I'm going to pray and ask for the Lord's blessing and for his help. Let us pray. Father, you've told us that your word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing the division of joint and marrow of soul and spirit, and discerning the intentions of the heart. Lord, would you open our eyes to see wondrous things in this your holy word. Speak, Lord, for your servants listen. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Here now the reading of God's holy word, Ruth chapter 4, starting in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amminadab. Amminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. Back in the 1990s, a 33-year-old man by the name of Larry Walters decided he wanted to see his neighborhood from a new perspective. So he went down to the local Army surplus store and bought 45 used weather balloons. That afternoon, he strapped himself to a lawn chair to which several of his friends had tied the now helium-filled balloons. He took along with him some provisions, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, a six-pack of beer, and a BB gun, figuring he could shoot the balloons down one at a time when he was ready to land. Walters, who assumed the balloons would lift him about 100 feet in the air, was completely caught off guard when he rose to more than 11,000 feet into the air, smack into the middle of the air traffic pattern of the Los Angeles International Airport. Too frightened to shoot any of the balloons, he stayed airborne for more than two hours, forcing the airport to shut down many of the runways for much of the afternoon. Soon after he was safely grounded and sighted by the police, reporters asked him three questions. Were you scared? 
Yes. Would you do it again? No. Why did you do it? Because he said you can't just sit there. You know, when it comes to stories in the Bible, sometimes we need to be like this man, Larry Walters, and get a new perspective on what's going on. You see, sometimes we get so focused on the little minute details that we miss the big picture of what's going on. And so we need to zoom out and see what exactly is happening in a story. And that's what we find happening here, this last section of the book of Ruth. Our narrator is zooming out, showing us the big picture. And it's like where Larry Waters, 11,000 feet up, looking down at the ground, seeing, well, okay, this is what's actually happening in the story. The big picture shows us that God's work in the lives of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz aren't just about them. As we walk through this passage, we'll see how God does indeed provide for individuals, but then how he provides for the nation and then how he provides for all of his people. And each time we're going to zoom out a little bit and see a little bit of the bigger picture. So first, God provides for individuals, and the first person we see God providing for is Boaz. Look at how our passage begins. So Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife. Well, that's straightforward enough, right? They got married, great, cool. What's, what's so great about that? How is God providing Well, God provides for Boaz in that he gives this man a wife. We must not miss the detail that God is the one who does this. Think about it for a moment. All throughout Ruth, we've seen the fact that God is the one working behind the scenes to provide for his people. In Genesis chapter 24, Abraham has a son, Isaac, and he realizes Isaac needs a wife. He doesn't want him to find a wife from the Canaanites who were not fears of God. And so he tells a servant, go back to my homeland some 1,200 miles away, traveled by camel, to find a wife for Isaac. And so a servant goes, and by God's grace, he says, if I would go to the, get to the well, let the woman who's drawing a well for me and for my camels be the one that you've chosen to be Isaac's wife. And the Lord does that, and it's Rebekah. God provides greatly And yet the provision of Ruth for Boaz is even greater than that. God himself goes to seek out a wife for Boaz. And where does he go? He goes to one of the most unlikely places, Moab, to find a wife for this God-fearing follower of the Lord, Boaz. This is the extent to which our God goes to provide for Boaz. In an even greater way, God does the same for us. Think about how God provides for his people, the church. In the hymn, the church is one foundation. The first verse, it says, From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. If you're in Christ, find great comfort to know that God came to find you and to seek you out. Jesus says in Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's the good news of the gospel. God provides for individuals. God provided for Boaz. But he doesn't just provide for Boaz. He also provides for Ruth. What does he do for her? Well, a couple things. One, like Boaz, he provides a spouse. Remember verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. 
In a day and age when a woman needed a husband to provide for her, God meets this deep need by providing Boaz for Ruth. But it goes further than that. First glance, this verse 13 seems repetitive and redundant. It says, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Well, that first part, that first phrase, is stating the fact that they got married. And then the author says that she became his wife. Why the repetition? Well, that first part is about the marriage. The second shows a change in status, a change in identity. Back in chapter 1, verse 22, Ruth is called Ruth the Moabite, the daughter-in-law of Naomi. She's defined as a pagan and by her relationship to Naomi. Then in chapter 2, verse 10, she calls herself a foreigner. Then in 2.13, she says that she's not even one of Boaz's servants. Finally, in chapter 3, verse 9, she calls herself his servant. But here in chapter 4, she's none of those things. No, she is the wife of Boaz. In this society, she now has value. She has worth. Her identity is completely changed. And if you're in Christ, the identity you have is infinitely greater than that of Ruth in Bethlehem. You are an adopted child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But God does even more for Ruth. Verse 13 continues, And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Boaz and Ruth consummate their marriage, and the Lord gives Ruth conception. This is only the second time in the whole book that we find it explicitly stated that God does something. The other time was when it tells us that he gave bread in Bethlehem. God's been at work behind the scenes in everything, but here it says the second time explicitly stated God did something. What did he do? He gave her conception. Remember, Ruth was married to Machlon for 10 years. She was barren. But now the Lord opens her womb and provides a child for her. You must never forget the truth that God is the author of life. Perhaps you're here today and you desire to have children, but you struggle with infertility. Pray fervently that the Lord would open your womb and allow you to conceive. Maybe the Lord will graciously answer that prayer. We don't know. He doesn't promise that he will. But God is the one who's the author of life. Finally, God provides for Naomi. Think about Naomi earlier in the book. She was devastated. She lost her husband and her two sons. She is destroyed. She's depressed. And she's mad at God. Chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, she says, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me that the Almighty and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Here in chapter 4, we find the complete reversal of everything for her. Her circumstances are changed. She went away, full came back empty, but now she's full again. She's holding this child in her lap. It literally says a son to Naomi. Not that it's actually her son, but it's her joy. And if you're a grandparent, I know you can relate to this. The joy of having a grandchild in your lap. She's full of joy. You know, it's fascinating that this child Obed is called the Redeemer of Naomi. And it's not Boaz. It seems that the author is not speaking legally, but situationally. Boaz was the legal redeemer. 
But this child was the one who provided joy right here and right now. The name Obed means servant. And later he would serve Naomi by caring for her in her old age, since he was the one who would inherit the land. Some of you, like Naomi, have lost a spouse or a child. The grief for a loss like that is unimaginable. Yet God provides. It may not be how you think, but he promises to care for his people. He promises to never leave you or forsake you. He will comfort you in your sorrow and meet your deepest needs. God also provided for Naomi through Ruth. The women say that, to Naomi that Ruth was better to her than ten sons. Ten sons was the uh, fullness of a family as understood by Israelites at this time. It doesn't mean that we need to have more children necessarily, but what it does mean is that Ruth to Naomi was so much better than even a house full of sons. Her steadfast love that has said that she showed to her mother-in-law when no one else cared for her, Ruth provided. Friends, God is in the business of providing for his people. How has he provided for you? Maybe you're like Naomi and you've been through a lot and there's grief and tears in your eyes. And you're like, it's hard to even know how God's been at work. Ask the Lord to show you how he has provided. Or maybe things in your life are going really well. Remember the words of James 1, 17, every good and perfect gift come from above. Be thankful for God's provision. Let it drive you to a deeper love for him and to passionate worship for the Lord. Friends, God is so good. His redeeming love is better than anything this world has to offer. And he does care for individuals. He cares for you. But he also cares for his people in a corporate sense. And that's the second thing we see as we zoom out a little bit. We see how he provides for the nation of Israel. You know, in some ways, the story of Ruth ends after verse 13. There's no real new information except the name Obed. The rest is just, it's a commentary, but that commentary helps explain the bigger picture of why all this matters. If we zoom out a ways, we see that God is providing for the nation of Israel. Look at the end of verse 17. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Who is this David? Kids, this is the same David who killed the giant Goliath with five smooth stones in his, in his uh, sling. It's the same David who became king in Israel after Saul, who was the greatest earthly king Israel ever had. He was known as a man after God's own heart. We must remember the context of the book of Ruth. The book opens that it was the time of the judges. How does the book of Judges end? There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There was a leadership vacuum. The people needed a king. And one of the purposes of the book of Ruth is to show the importance of a king. It's to drive them towards the monarchy. And I think to maybe unite the people of Israel around King David after Saul was killed. Yet the story of Ruth goes further. It's not just about the need for a king, but how God provides the greatest king in Israel's history. Remember, God is the ultimate author of history. He weaves together a beautiful story 
And yet the forces of evil will try to undermine God's great work. I mentioned it earlier, but remember, Ruth was barren for 10 years. And then her husband dies. Elimelech dies. The line of Elimelech is a fear of extinction. But when we zoom out, we realize that what's greater, what might go extinct, is the line of the king. But yet God in his providence provides the Ruth and Boaz. Now, how much did Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz know about their offspring, David? You put a microphone in their face and tell me about David. What are they going to tell you? Nothing, right? Because he hasn't been born yet. But who knows all about David who's coming? God. God knew the bigger picture. He knew that Ruth and Boaz would be the great-grandparents of King David. Why do I mention all of this? Because it teaches us that there's always something bigger going on in the kingdom of God. You and I have no idea what is currently happening, all that's happening in God's kingdom, not to mention everything that will happen in the future. It's so easy for us to be blinded by our present circumstances that we miss the bigger picture of what God is doing. We get so focused on ourselves, we're selfish and self-centered, and we forget about others and what God is doing. The good news is that you and I get to be a part of what God is doing. We may not see all of it this side of eternity, but that doesn't change the fact of what God is doing. Do you ever long to be part of something bigger than yourself? Kids, do you want to belong, to feel like you have a sense of purpose? I believe this is part of why groups exist. People want to be a part of something bigger than themselves, and so we join a sports team or a club at school. It's why we're a part of a book club as an adult or join a Bible study. It's part of the draw of political parties or activist groups and even gangs, believe it or not. Desire to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And zooming out and seeing the big picture here in the book of Ruth reminds us that as Christians, we're part of something much bigger than us. We're part of God's kingdom work in the world. Does this excite you? It should. But I think part of our problem is that we have one foot in and one foot out when it comes to following Jesus. Say, yeah, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior, but I don't want to be too involved. I don't want to be that kind of radical Christian, one of those Jesus freaks. That's a little weird. I'm going to kind of play it safe. But God offers us the greatest adventure of all in following him, being part of his kingdom work. Through faithfulness in ordinary life, we can contribute to God's work of building his kingdom. Parents, every conversation you have with your children is an opportunity to build God's kingdom. Coaches, every interaction with your players is a chance to be a part of God's bigger work. Every time you engage your coworkers or your neighbors in conversation, you have a chance to be used by God for his redemptive purposes. We probably won't see it all, but God is at work. What would it look like for you and me to be about the bigger picture? What might this transform your view of your calling in life, whatever your profession might be? God provided for his people, a king after his own heart, showed them the bigger picture. He did it through ordinary people named Boaz, Ruth, and Naomi, among others. 
But let's zoom out one more time. There's an even bigger picture we find at the very end, verses 18 to 22. In my Bible, there's the uh, uninspired heading uh, for this section called the genealogy of David. Now, let's be honest. What do you and I typically do when we come to genealogies in the Bible? We skip them, right? You can be honest. This is a safe place. We skip over them. That's a bunch of names I don't know how to pronounce, uh, and I don't get it, and it means nothing to my life. We shouldn't be so quick to do that. Genealogies have a lot to teach us. The book of Ruth shows us the need for a king. David was the best king Israel ever had, but David isn't the end of the story. 2 Samuel 7, David wants to build a house for God. He wants to build a temple. God says, no, there's too much blood on your hands. Your son Solomon will do it. And then God says something beautiful. 2 Samuel 7, verse 16, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. God is saying to David, you want to build me a house? Now I'm going to do something bigger. I'm going to build you a house, not a palace, but a dynasty. Your kingdom will rule forever. There'll be one of your descendants on the throne forever. Wow. Solomon comes next. Great king, more or less, for most of the time at least. And then Rehoboam, and the things start to go downhill. And after a while, eventually the people are taken into captivity. There's no one on the throne. Did God's promise fail? No, of course not. Why? A greater king was to come. Who was that? Well, if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 1. Here in Matthew 1, we find another genealogy. I'm going to read a lot of this for us. Really, all these names? Yeah, because it's so important. Matthew 1, starting in verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. And Joram, the father of Uzziah. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham. And Jotham, the father of Ahaz. And Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathan, and Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. Now, I thought about having this as the first reading, but I thought Barry would not be very appreciative of that with all these names, so you're welcome. Um... Also, it would kind of spoil the story a little bit, getting ahead of ourselves. 
Here we see the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And genealogies aren't meant to be exhaustive family trees. There's gaps in them, leaving out certain characters. No, genealogies in the Bible are theological in nature. They teach us about what God is doing in redemptive history. You see, the 10,000-foot view of the book of Ruth shows that the story was all about Jesus. Do you notice how early in Matthew 1 and the end of Ruth 4 are almost identical? I don't think that was just chance. Oh, God knows what he's doing. Yes, David was the initial fulfillment to the promise, but Jesus was the greater fulfillment. The big picture in the book of Ruth is that God was once again providing for the coming of the Messiah. God sent Jesus to save Just a couple of verses after the genealogy in Matthew 1, we find these words. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, Jesus came to save us from our sins. Your greatest need and mine is to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. He alone offers true hope and life in this broken, fallen, and sinful world. And Jesus is the king like David. In Revelation twenty-two sixteen, Jesus says, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. He's the greater David. He is the king ruling and reigning. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 25, says that Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. Jesus is the king. He rules and reigns. And one day he's coming again. He will judge all peoples. Are you on his side? Have you submitted to King Jesus? If not, trust him today. Remember, he's the fulfillment. He is the one that God sent to save sinners like you and me. Your greatest need is to have your sins forgiven. And if you have trusted him, then realize that this changes everything. You're a part of the bigger picture of what God is doing in redemptive history. God uses unlikely people. There are five women listed in that genealogy of Jesus. Ruth was one of them. Boaz's mother, Rahab. Remember her from Jericho in the book of Joshua? Tamar, you want to find a wild story in Genesis? Look up the story of Tamar. People that would be like, what? They're in the lineage of Jesus? Yes. God used them for his good purposes. God will use you and me for his purposes as well, if we'll trust him to do that work. So as a close, remember, the book of Ruth is all about God. His redeeming love is a theme, and may that be the theme for your life and mine. See, what God has done through Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection makes all the difference in the world. But is it making all the difference in your life? I think for all of us, we can grow in that. So let us ask the Holy Spirit to do that work in us, to be a part of the bigger picture of what he's doing. Let us pray.